When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today. And today we have a Sunday sermon, a sermon I preached at my little church here in Pflugerville. Um, if you're in the area, I'd love to visit with you if you're able to make it, of course. And uh, if you have a church that you go to somewhere else, I hope uh, you had a good moment there as well. But I hope you found a connection to God somehow today, if at all possible. If not, uh, reach out. Let's talk about that. Everyone's different on these kind of things, and we can't impose our stuff on other people, but we can always invite and offer uh, what we found. There's often talk of the clergy shortage problem in America. Um, In the Episcopal Church, we like to wring our hands about those sorts of things at a higher level than than what you and I are usually involved in. But uh, the real problem in the Episcopal Church today is a laity shortage problem, um, a people shortage problem. Uh, Churches are closing. Churches are, um, you know, have less people attending them than they did in previous years. And it sort of becomes a hand-wringing crisis for religious leaders. You know, if you look at history, churches have always kind of come and gone on the on the planet as we have come and gone as human individuals as well. There's been great surges in church attendance and and dips too throughout uh, all of human history since the church was born. But here in this account of the very first church, the very first community of Christians uh, that are flocking to hear Jesus and to be healed by him, it's always a little shocking that the origin story of Christianity had too many people coming to Jesus. Too many people were crowding to him to get a hold of him, to have him touch them so that they would be healed from their infirmities and even do this strange thing that we don't really see in our modern world, to cast out demons. They are coming to him to do this. There's so many of them that Jesus has to hide. Uh, The hiding Jesus is a funny thing to think about a little bit, you know. Uh, You sort of have to picture him as an ordinary person that could hide uh, if he could get away with it. Uh, But yet he is doing that. He is trying to um, move to a, a safer location where he can be himself. Jesus is constantly going out in the desert at night by himself to pray, it says sometimes all night. And we don't know what he did there. We only have one time where we know what he did out there in the desert by himself at night praying without his disciples around. And that is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He does the same thing that he's always done. He's gone out there and argued with God, wrestled with God, lamented with God. He has poured out his heart and his soul And he knows that he won't be able to do that if he's around these crowds all the time. And that's why he sometimes disappears. But they're all flocking to him. And we wonder, why don't more people flock to the Christian church than they We could argue that a lot of them do. Um, On Sunday morning, a lot of people still go to church in this world. We often count America as the only place where Christians live. I hope we all know that there are Christians all around the world. There's actually Anglican Christians, the kind of Christian that y'all are, all around the world, maybe 80 million of us, maybe more than that even, 
Most of us live in places like the continent of Africa. That's where our biggest churches are, our biggest dioceses are. And, and uh, so we as Americans are but a small sliver of this great pie of, of God's kingdom in the Anglican church. But then you add up all the other Christians. And yes, they are Christians too, uh, even though we might disagree with about a few things with them, including Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, we certainly share Jesus. It is weird that Peter has a mother-in-law in our gospel reading today. Any mother-in-laws here today? Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> we, we applaud you for your service uh, to your children in law, children in love. Um, this is a relationship that's often full of, you know, some, some comedy. But um, often uh, we don't really glimpse the disciples' families in a way like this, that Peter's mother-in-law is, is really sick. She's got a fever. Um, you know, sickness has like been the same for a long time. When you get a fever, something's wrong. It is something that your body is trying to tell you um, it needs to get rid of some kind of virus or something like that. And she's got this fever. And this is maybe before uh, people were able to really alleviate that. And fevers could lead to a lot worse things. We are blessed with modern medicine that for the most part, we get something we can kind of cut it off a little early before it kind of runs its course, hopefully. And we pray that people around the world have access to that kind of medicine so that um, a fever doesn't turn into a death. But it's really serious. She's in bed. I mean, uh, I don't know how your family is, but if mom's in bed with a fever, it's pretty bad. You know, it's pretty bad. Um, usually um, in, in her home, you can go to Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house and Capernaum today. They built it. I talked about this last week, but they built like a spaceship like church over the top of it with a glass floor. It's the weirdest church in the world. You can look down at the mother-in-law's house, ruins of it there. But this is where Jesus performs this miracle showing that every part of our lives is open to the healing work of Jesus. Every single part of your life, even your mother-in-law, every single part of your life and my life. We are in relationship with other people all the time. And it is in these relationships, whether we characterize them as good or bad or happy or sad or fraught or difficult or whatever we call those relationships, it's there that the healing presence of Jesus is most needed. You can imagine how, how big of a win this was for Peter to have his mother-in-law healed by Jesus. I mean, they may, might not have thought he was completely wasting his life now. Well, at least there was some benefit to the family with this guy who's married, who's going off with Jesus, wandering around homeless for three years. Strange. The sacrifice that Peter makes, we know he's married. Um, you know, clergy marriages is something that Anglicans brought back to the church, but the early clergy were married people. Um, before some rules were imposed on our church. Uh, and then, so in the Reformation in England, this was one of the things that changed and shifted, saying that, yes, in those human relationships, even romantic relationships, God can be present and you can serve God in them. But it is here in this place of great trial and sickness of family dynamics that we see this outbreaking of the Spirit happening in Jesus's life. 
Suddenly, all these other people are flocking to be healed from their demonic oppression, from various diseases, from all these other sicknesses that are, they are experiencing. And maybe people don't come to church very much because this isn't happening for them. And maybe that's why I don't come to church very much, because this doesn't always happen for me. What are the barriers that we have put in place so that people can't experience this? Every Sunday, around the world, Christians break bread, and they hold that cup, and they repeat the same words that Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we experience the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That means we are forgiven. That means we have a new start, that no matter how many times we've fallen or failed or all those things that we do, we have a new chance to live in freedom and hope and love every single day of our lives. And when we sip from that cup or we dip the bread in and we taste it or even get close to it, even get close to it, whenever we're close to it, we know that we're forgiven. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to heal us by teaching us how to forgive. And that is one of the hardest things to do in life. I have had trouble forgiving in my life. Um, and, and I like to think I'm pretty good at a lot of stuff. I've had a pretty easy life um, with a lot of things. You know, I was able to talk my way out of most situations in life. Um, I've had a pretty, pretty good one. But there are some things that I have not been able to talk my way out of, and I have not been able to think my way out of, and I've not been able to like exert pressure or influence or threat or whatever it is to get out of the trap of forgiveness that I can't forgive. And there are people, if they walked in that door right now, that I would have like stuff happen inside me. Do you know any of those people in your life? Um, this is really hard stuff. And I like to think that, you know, it's in these family relationships, these intimate relationships that Peter and his mother-in-law and Jesus and James and John are involved in, that this is where Jesus is present and does the most healing. Because I can't do it. And when I couldn't do it, and I was sure I couldn't do it, I wandered into an Episcopal church that my friend was the rector of, my friend from the army that I met in Baghdad, Iraq during the war, he was the rector there, and I went to his church, and I didn't like it. I didn't like being at church. I didn't really, I'd been in that world, and I didn't really want to be there, but I was there for him because he invited me. And I went, and when I took, came up for communion, and I took the bread, and I drank from the cup, I knew somehow that God loved me, loved me more than I could even imagine, that somehow this like rock of forgiveness in my heart that I kept pounding at and kept trying to wash it away with alcohol and other things. Like if I could just get rid of that. And I felt that there was hope in that moment, that there was hope for me. There was hope I could learn to forgive. There was hope I could learn to live, actually live with some happiness in my life and live with some joy and live with some freedom where I wasn't constantly obsessed with my anger and despair. And we find that at this altar, and we are often, and I say we, the clergy, are often the barrier to that for people. I don't want to be a barrier to Jesus' healing love for you. I don't want to be a barrier in any way, shape, or form. This table is for you. 
This sacrament is for you, especially when you're sick, especially when the demons of this world have won the day with you the night before and the week before and the month before and the year before. This table is for you because even the young men will grow faint and weary and they will fall and they always do. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the promise of God that is contained in the life of Jesus that we experience here in the sacrament. We experience in the acceptance of this community. The other reason I kept going to that church, the other reason, one was the first was a sacrament, my friend that invited me. The other was, I knew that at any moment, if I told someone in that church what I was up to and the, the things that weren't right in my life, I knew they wouldn't kick me out. I knew they'd listen to me. And that meant a lot. And I didn't get up every Sunday morning and say everything that was going on in my life. But I knew that there were a couple people there that I could tell those things to. That I knew I could confess my sins there. That I could say what I was struggling with, what was difficult in my life. And they would understand and they wouldn't give me advice and they wouldn't tell me I sucked. And they wouldn't tell me I was a failure. They wouldn't tell me I, was, I should be ashamed of myself. What they would tell me was that I was loved by God and by them and that they'd been through some stuff too and we're going to make it together. That's why I stayed at that church. And that's why I'm here today. Amen.